Hi, my name's Jason. I'm the senior pastor at Chilton Church. We hope all our messages will help you connect more fully with God's love, grow as his follower, and share his hope with those around you. Thanks so much for joining us. It is uh, great to be with you again and to, to share uh, what is week four in this series. And for those of you that are new or perhaps slipped in, uh, my name is Jason. I'm the pastor here, and it's fabulous to have you with us and to be journeying with you uh, through the course of the series that we are doing, Introducing Jesus, uh, where we are hoping to introduce the person of Jesus to you, to us, to connect with him in richer and deeper ways. And we'd love to invite you to come on the journey with us. If you've missed perhaps uh, any in the series, you can get them all online on the website. Uh, We try to put the notes up as well, so you can follow with the slides and the scriptures, uh, because we'd love to to do this as a journey together um, as a family. And so we've been doing that through the Gospel of Mark, uh, which gives to us one of the closest insights into the life and the character, the very person of Jesus, whom we want to have connection and and intimacy with. And, And coming into the beginning of this year, I really have had this sense that God is wanting to cultivate intimacy with God, with us, that he's calling us to to cultivate, to incubate intimacy with him. And so perhaps those of you who maybe weren't able to get down to our evening service last week, um, I spoke on this, I spoke on intimacy with God and what it means to have intimate connection with the person of God himself, with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus, with the Father, and the incredible language that God has given to us of what it's like for us to have connection with God. And so if you missed that and you'd like to get that message, that's also online, uh, the evening service, um, and love for you to, to go ahead and, and listen to that. And, and what, something I've realized as I've been looking at this idea of intimacy and what it is to have intimacy with a person, to be intimate with Jesus, I've realized it's very difficult to cultivate intimacy with God without coming to know, understand, and even celebrate Jesus' mission. What, if you like, made him tick? Why he did the things that he was doing? This bigger purpose that he had as he lived and did ministry on the earth. And it's almost as we are able to connect with his mission that we get an insight into his heart uh, and into what, what he was passionate about. And I think it's probably the same in our relationships with other people. As we come to understand what makes a person tick, you know, what is really behind the things that they ha- are giving their time to, their lives to, it gives us a different level of understanding of what that person's like. And, and to not know what really makes someone tick, uh, and to not really know what's driving them, to not really know what their, their big life hopes are, in a sense, there is a degree of separation that we now have with those people. And so God wants us to be intimate with him. He wants us to know him. He also wants us to know his mission and to connect with that 
in a powerful and profound way. And so there's a, a video that I'd like to show you, which I think is going to help us by the Bible Project people. I'm not sure if you've watched any of their videos. We might use some of their stuff later on in the year as we come to the Old Testament series that we're going to do. Um, but this video gives us a bit of an overarching picture of the story of the Bible. And I think it's going to be helpful for us in looking at the particular passage in Mark that we're looking at today. And so I want to pray for us, even as we watch this, and as we come into this time now, that God would awaken our hearts to the purposes of God, that God would uh, awaken our spirits to the mission of Jesus, that we would be able to step into his heart for the world and step into his heart for us. Is that okay? Can we, can we pray for that? Can you uh, uh, sort of personally as I'm praying that, join in with that prayer, that our hearts would be open and alive to him. So, so Father, I pray as we, as we watch this little video, as we journey through the rest of this, this sermon, that Lord, you would awaken our hearts to your mission and purpose. We desire intimacy with you. We desire connection with you. We want to know what it is to be found in you and for you to be in us. Thank you, God, for this incredible relationship with you that we are able to have, Jesus, because of your mission and because of your ministry. And so, Lord, awaken us now. May we gather, each one of us, individually and collectively from this time, may we receive from you everything that you desire to give. In Jesus' name, I ask. Amen. Amen. Okay, hopefully this works first time. There's this crazy story at the beginning of the Bible. We have Adam and Eve, and they're in the Garden of Eden. And everything in this garden is great. It's exactly as it should be, except... There's this one tree that they're told by God not to eat from because it's dangerous and it will kill them. So that's it. Uh, avoid this fruit tree and we're fine. Right. It seems pretty simple. But in this garden, there's a snake. And it starts telling a different story. It says that if you eat of this tree, it's not going to kill you. In fact, it's going to make you become like God. And Adam and Eve, they believe the snake and they eat the fruit. And because of this, the goodness of the garden is tragically lost and evil and death enters into God's good world. Now, why is there a talking snake in the garden? I mean, this thing is a problem. Yeah, it's very strange. And even more strange is the fact that the Bible doesn't say why or how this thing even got there. It just presents the snake as this creature who's in rebellion against God and that wants to get other people to doubt God's goodness and lead them on a path towards death. And so whatever this snake is, it's the source of evil that pervades our world and our lives even still today. But there is some hope because right here in the story, God makes this really interesting promise to Adam and Eve. That someone is going to come in the future, a son of Eve. And this guy's going to come and he's going to crush the serpent's head and destroy evil at its source. However, during this battle, the serpent is going to bite this guy's heel. So it's like a mutual destruction. Yeah, it's this very strange but beautiful promise. And it's just left hanging there until the next key moment in the story when God singles out this guy named Abraham and says that through his family, goodness and blessing is going to be restored back to all of the nations of the world. 
And as we follow this family, we get to one of Abraham's great-grandsons, this guy named Judah. And he receives this promise that a king is going to come from his line and that the whole world's going to follow this king and he's going to bring peace and harmony and there'll be lots of food and wine and milk and vineyards and it's going to be awesome. The first king that we meet from the line of Judah is a guy named King David. And he's a hero. Maybe he is the snake crusher. But it turns out that David is infected with the same evil as the rest of humanity. He never crushes the snake, just the opposite. However, God makes a promise to David that this king is going to eventually come from his line. But as you go on in the story, one by one, each generation of his sons, they're just total chumps. They give in to the snake, they choose evil, they go after money and sex and power and following other gods. Things get so bad that they run the nation of Israel right into the ground and the big bad empire of Babylon just takes them out. And so now there are no more kings to even fulfill this promise. So it seems like the whole plan is lost. But during these dark days, there's this crazy group of guys called prophets and they just kept talking about this coming king and reminding us of the promise that he'll come, he'll defeat evil, he'll restore the garden. Now, one specific prophet, Isaiah, he tells us more about why this king is bitten. Isaiah says that the promised king receives this wound because of humanity's evil and that it kills him. But then all of a sudden he comes back and Isaiah says it's because he suffered this wound that he can now become a source of healing to other people. But the Old Testament ends, and the snake-crushing king that everyone's been talking about never shows up. And this is why, when the New Testament begins, it introduces us to Jesus of Nazareth, not as some random guy, but as someone who comes to fulfill these specific ancient promises. Yeah, we learn that he's from the line of David, Judah, and Abraham. And he goes around Israel announcing that the goodness of God's kingdom is here now. And he begins confronting the effects of evil on people by healing them, by forgiving them of their sins and evil. Many people are now believing that this is, in fact, the promised king. But Jesus began telling his closest followers that he was going to become king and bring peace by taking the full effect of humanity's evil into himself. The fatal snake bite wound. Exactly. And so it seems like the serpent wins. And this story actually would be a tragedy except for what happens next. Jesus rises from the dead. And now Jesus has the power over evil and death for himself. And so the rest of the New Testament is then making this claim that Jesus' power over evil and death has now become available to us to begin confronting the effects of evil in our lives. But even still, death and evil are a real problem in our world all around us. And so the story of the Bible ends by describing this future day when Jesus comes back and he finishes the job. He destroys the snake once and for all and he restores the goodness of the garden here on earth. Great. It's quite powerful, that, I thought. And I think it provides a frame for us to understand the Bible scripture that we're going to look at uh, now. So if you have Bibles, you want to open them. Otherwise, it will be up on the screen if you want to pop. Oh, can I do it? There we go. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 are what we're going to look at this morning. And so here we go. Uh, Mark 1, verse 14. After John was put in prison... Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. 
the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Some of your translations uh, might read gospel because the word gospel simply means good news. And so depending on the translation that you have, uh, sometimes they'll write in gospel, sometimes they'll write in good news. They, they essentially mean the same thing. And this is quite a powerful piece of scripture because in this tiny amount of the gospel of Mark, we have encapsulated for us, summed up for us, the whole focus and force of Jesus' earthly ministry. Uh, John Wimber, who started the Vineyard Church movement, uh, said about this verse, he said, it's almost as if this verse or this little section here is the whole thesis statement for Jesus' entire earthly ministry. And everything else that we read about in the Gospels, everything else that follows on from it uh, in the rest of the New Testament, if you like, is unpacking, further unpacking the reality and dynamic that we see expressed in these verses. And what we see in this is that Jesus comes essentially to reveal two really significant truths. And then call people to respond to those truths in two very profound ways. And if we can understand this, this thesis statement of Jesus' ministry, if we can understand the reality of these two truths and the two responses that Jesus is calling all of humanity to, then we are afforded this incredible insight into the very heart of Jesus' mission and ministry. And that enables us to have intimacy with Jesus in a different way, to a different level. And so let's have a look at those just briefly. If we, if we look at this, we see that Jesus comes to reveal two realities, that the time has come and that the kingdom of God is near. And he says, if we can understand that, if we can perceive the time and we can understand the reality of the nearness of God's kingdom, then it calls out of us two responses. It calls out of us repentance, which is a word that has become very religious in our time. We, we probably have lots of different pictures that are associated with that word. It literally means to rethink something. It means to change your mind. And so Jesus says, if you can see these two realities, then I want you to think differently now about your life, about your values, about your goals. We're going to look at that in just a moment. And then he says, not just to repent, but also to believe, which is this idea of trusting and following both Jesus' teaching and his Example. So let's break those down a little bit. These two realities and these two responses that encapsulate Jesus' mission and ministry. The first is this, that the time has come. I love this country and the seasons of this country. They're so profound and marked. Uh, and it's so easy to celebrate them, even though uh, I think the country tries to pretend winter doesn't exist. Because... There's no winter term. I don't understand that. We have spring term and summer term and autumn term and no winter term. It's like everybody knows it's winter. We can just call it a winter term. But, but anyway, so, so, but in this country, the seasons are so wonderfully marked and celebrated. And there are seasons with God as well. And there are times of God's activity 
that are different to other times of God's activity. And so what is this time that Jesus is saying has come? It's the time the Jewish people had been longing for that we heard about and saw about in that video. This time in history where God would come and deal with evil. He would come and restore and deliver his people. But what the Jewish people had assumed would be the moment where everybody else would be judged and they would be raised up, eternally raised up with him. What we discover through Jesus' teaching is that this was now to be the season where all people would have the opportunity to be restored to God. And later, all people would be judged on how they would respond. This, if you like, is the season of God's grace. This is the starting point of this new time, this season that the people had been longing for, for hundreds of years, and Jesus is saying, the time has now come. This season of salvation has been opened through me, and through my coming, and through my ministry. And in Luke's gospel, we get some extra details. As you know, there are, there are uh, four different gospels, and they help us to gain insight into the life and ministry of Jesus. And in Luke's gospel, we get a bit of extra detail on the beginning of Jesus' ministry, uh, even into one of his first sermons or messages that he would have spoken in one of the synagogues, uh, the synagogue being a little bit like the church services that we have today. And in Luke chapter 4, some of this will be on the screen, but it says he goes into the synagogue and as was his custom, he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. They didn't have Bibles like we have today. So they had the writings of that prophet Isaiah on a scroll and it's handed to him and Jesus opens the scroll and he finds this particular piece in the writings of Isaiah the prophet written hundreds of years before him before his earthly ministry. And he reads this. We we have it recorded in Luke chapter 4, but he's reading from Isaiah chapter 61. And Jesus reads and he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news, the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners, those who've done wrong, And recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, those who've had wrong done to them, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he sits down and he says, today, this scripture that was written by Isaiah hundreds of years before is fulfilled in your hearing. The time has come. What's quite interesting and would have been shocking, actually, for the Jewish people who would have been in the synagogue as he was reading, is he cut short halfway through verse 2 in Isaiah 61. He doesn't read the whole verse. He, He only reads part of it. He does not complete the sentence. He says, uh, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and then he ends. And he does not go on to read this. And the day of vengeance of our God. And yet he sits down and he says, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. What is he doing? What is, why does he not complete the sentence? And it's, it's because God is working in seasons. And we are in one season now, but Jesus says we haven't yet moved into the other. This is the beginning of the season of grace. 
This is the season of salvation. This is the start of the time when people are able to reconnect with God. But this season, like all seasons, will not last forever. You, you might have wondered, as you, if you read through the Gospels, there are times where Jesus says, I have not come to judge the world. Do you remember those scriptures? Have you read those? I haven't come to judge the world, but to save it. And then at other times, we read about him talking about judgment that's coming. And the writers speak about this coming judgment. Why is it that Jesus can say in one place, I haven't come to judge the world. And in another place, he says, and I'm going to judge the world. What is that about? And again, it's because of this idea of seasons. He has initiated the season of grace and forgiveness with his first coming. And he will come again. And when he comes again, he will initiate the second season, the one that is still to come, the day of the vengeance of our God. There is a time that's coming where every person will face the judgment of God, either when we die and go to stand before him or when he returns. And so this day of vengeance is coming. But thankfully, the message of Jesus is we still have some time. The season has begun, but it's not over yet. And yet there is this urgency about the ministry of Jesus. He's in one town and then they want to stay there because it's amazing. He says, no, I've got to get to the next town because I have a window of time for the ministry that I'm doing. And it's, I have been called to do this. I need to go and proclaim the kingdom and the gospel in these other places too. And there's an urgency about our ministry, the ministry that Jesus has called us to. Jesus says in John chapter 9, verse 4, it's not on the screen. If you're taking notes, you might want to jot it down. John 9, verse 4, Jesus says, As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Okay, that's, that's not a reference to us not actually being allowed to have an evening service. And, and we're not allowed to do kingdom ministry once it gets dark. If we weren't allowed to do kingdom ministry once it was dark in this country, half of the year would be cut out. Okay, So he's not talking about day and night. He's talking about the season of grace and the coming season of God's judgment. And he says, we are now in the season of the day where the ministry of the kingdom can be done. While people are alive, it's day. We have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. But once they die, that season for them is gone. Once Jesus comes again, that season for humanity will be gone. And so there is an urgency of Jesus' ministry and Jesus' mission that he wants us to catch. I was with someone in hospital this week who was dying. And they were right at the end of their season of daytime and able to pray with them and invite them to connect with God. But for them, it was right at that moment at sunset. And you think, oh, if only we'd had more time during their season of day to share with them. And I pray that all of us be able to take hold of this season that we have now. This is the season. This is the time. This is the moment of God's offer of salvation to us and to this community. We only have this season once. 
And it is for us to capture the heart and the urgency and the passion of Jesus for people to reconnect with him. Because he says this is the other reality. The first reality, the time is now. The second reality, the kingdom is near. And it's come near in Christ. And it will finally come when he returns. But we experience something of the kingdom even now by faith as we connect with him. And we will experience it fully when he comes again. What, what is the kingdom of God? Has anyone ever been confused about what the kingdom of God is? It's a little tricky because Jesus, as he describes it, and, and the writers in the scripture, as they describe it, they describe it in so many different ways. So it's hard to go to the Bible and get a fantastic, you know, one-liner definition of what the kingdom of God is, because it's so big, it needs to be talked about in many different ways. But here's a go at me trying to explain what it is very simply and succinctly. Um, You could describe it like this. The kingdom of God is life as God intended, in full connection with God. It's the peace and power and joy and right connection with God that God always intended all of his creation to have. Another way you could could describe it perhaps is it's the reality of heaven experienced on the earth. The reality of heaven experienced on the earth. When the kingdom comes, when the reality of the kingdom of God is expressed, life changes. Things are different because the way things are in heaven are different to the way things are on earth. And in Christ, something of the power of the kingdom of God breaks into this world. And so as Jesus does his ministry and he draws in the kingdom, he pulls near the kingdom of God to people, stuff starts to happen. People encounter truth, which is able to set them free. People who are sick get healed. People who are broken internally or spiritually broken, get healed and made whole and delivered. There is spiritual, emotional, and mental restoration. Evil gets defeated and kicked out of the land, and life gets released. A a, a way that Jesus speaks about it as he sends a message to John the Baptist, he says, John, this is what's happening. This is how you can know that the king of the kingdom has come. He says, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news, the gospel is proclaimed to the poor. Or out of Luke chapter 4, the prisoners, those who did wrong, are being set free from their guilt. The oppressed, those who've had wrong done to them, are being set free and made whole and delivered. Isn't it amazing that it doesn't matter whether you have done wrong or you've had wrong done to you, that the kingdom of God is able to set you free. It doesn't matter whether you've had wrong done to you, which causes us to be broken, or whether we have done wrong, which causes us to be broken. Either of those, God is able to heal and to restore. And so Jesus says, the time has come, the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is accessible. You can access 
these realities of the kingdom of God, even now, ahead of time. It's a bit like when they're going to release the next blockbuster film. You, you don't get to watch the whole thing, but you get the trailers. And then now, because you know, there's so much money in this, they release the teaser trailer, then they release the trailer, then they release you know, trailer two, then you get extended version of the trailer, and you get all of these little insights into the, f sometimes the whole sort of plot of the film is given away in the trailers. And yet, that's something of what this is like for us. We get these foretastes of the reality of the kingdom even now. And that's why uh, people around Jesus were so blessed. And so how do we enter into that? How do we enter into this time? How do we engage with the kingdom? How do we allow the kingdom to come into us and through us? And Jesus says, there are two ways. There are two responses that are needed in order for the kingdom to get into us and for us to get into the kingdom. He says they are to repent and believe. Repent and believe. And actually, this is something that we do to begin our life with God and our relationship with God. It's something that we do as we continue to grow as Christians. All of the Christian life, uh, Martin Luther said, is one of repentance. How can that be possible? Well, the word, as I said, repent, this Greek word metanoia in the Bible, it means to change your mind, to have a change of mind, to now think differently and therefore to act differently because you're perceiving things in a different way. And it's not easy to have someone come and tell you that you are thinking about something wrongly. And it's not easy to admit we have been thinking about something wrong. How many of you find it easy to admit when you've got it wrong? Okay, if you do, that's a really good thing. Okay, we need to grow in that, all of us. But it can sometimes be hard to say, you know what, this thing that I've been adamantly standing for and promoting, and pushing, and maybe even teaching other people, gosh, I got it wrong. I've been thinking about this in all the wrong ways. And because I've been thinking about it in all the wrong ways, I've been doing all the wrong things. And so Jesus says, when the kingdom comes, we get confronted with a different culture, with a different way of thinking, with a different set of values, with a different set of propositions and truths. And he says, all of the world has thought wrongly about themselves, about God, about life in some way. And that's why so much of Jesus' mission and ministry was teaching. And that's why we value it here at the church. That's why it's so important to be reading the Bible. If we're not reading the Bible, then we're not getting God's way of thinking. And we don't realize we've been thinking wrongly. And so every time you come to the Bible and you go, I don't know if I agree with that. How many of you have had that happen in the last couple of days? Okay. You know, uh, we come to the Bible and go, I haven't thought, I don't think about it like that. And that's as God comes to us, the teaching of Jesus, the message of the scripture, it challenges the way we think. It challenges our values. And God is calling us to say, if you want to enter into my kingdom, you need to understand, Jason, you've been thinking wrongly. You've thought wrongly about yourself. You've thought wrongly about me. You've thought wrongly about others. And I am calling you to see my kingdom and repent of your thinking 
and agree with me. That's what repentance is. So every time you go to the Bible and you think that's wrong, that's a cue for you that we need to repent. Okay, that's as kindly as I can put it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's the idea. And as we do, we turn from our way of thinking, we embrace God, and we believe in Him. We put our trust in Him. And so to become a Christian, we do that for the first time. And we say, you know what, God, I've thought wrongly about so much. And I choose to disconnect from that and put my trust in you. That what you've said is true, that I can have forgiveness because you died so that I don't have to. And we believe that and it's like the door of the kingdom gets open to us. And God welcomes us in and he says, I now call you my child. This kingdom is now your home. You are now a citizen of the kingdom of God. And I'm going to teach you all the other wrong things that you don't yet realize you're still thinking wrongly about. And that's that process of growth. And so to grow as a Christian, we keep putting down our thoughts and we keep picking up his. And the more we do that, trusting in him, the more we change. And the richer our experience of the kingdom of God is. The more we experience the love and power and peace of the kingdom, and the more it gets into us, the more we can give it away. Freely you've received, freely give. It's interesting when Peter and John go to the beautiful gate, and there's the man there who's lying crippled from birth, and he wants money. And they come to him, and it's, what do they say? Silver and gold we don't have. What we have, we give to you. Stand up and walk. What are they doing? They have received through repentance and faith something of the kingdom of God, the power of the kingdom of God, that they were then able to give away. And it transformed that person's life. And as we come into the kingdom, you'll begin to find you can give away peace. You can give away joy. You can give away truth. You can give away healing. And obviously, we can't give it all away. He hasn't returned yet. We're still operating with the trailers, okay, in part. But in part is still a lot. In part is still incredibly powerful. In part still transforms and changes people's lives. And people are healed. And people are delivered. And people are restored. Not fully, but powerfully. Not completely, Ultimately, he will come again. And so I, I want us to, to dig into this heart and power and heartbeat of Jesus' mission and ministry. Because it changes us and it changes everyone else who is around us. If we can hand it on to them. Can we catch that urgency? I was praying about it um, over the course of the weekend. I want us to catch the urgency without catching some kind of wrong pressure. It, it, does that help? It's, it's about saying, we've got something to give away. We've got the seed. It's not our responsibility to make it grow. God makes it grow. But gosh, if it's up to us to sow, then we want to sow wherever we can and leave the growth to God. 
But, but we don't want to have a field, not have any growth in it, because we never bothered to sow in it. Yeah? We don't want to have a person's life unchanged for God because we didn't sow into it. But we'll sow and we leave the growth to God. The pressure's off, but the urgency's on. Yeah? The pressure's off, but the urgency's on. We have a window. We have this time. You have this time to respond and to share, to give away and to receive. And we want to make the most of that time because we want to see the greatest harvest that we can come out of our life. We have in this time the opportunity to make an eternal difference in people's lives, in a family's life, in a school, in a workplace, with a friendship circle, in a sports club, wherever it is that you hang out. Transform the pubs for God. <laughs> Transform the clubs for God. Transform uh, the work environments for God. We get to be ambassadors of the kingdom of God and see his love, joy, peace, power reign in the environments where we go. Yeah? I think that's incredibly powerful and exciting. A little bit scary, but God is with us. <laughs> okay, and we're going to find out more about that through the course of the year. So let's pray together. Maybe you want to stand. The worship team can come up. You could switch on all of their instruments and have, have some music and sound. I want to pray for us. I want to pray for anyone who's here. And you know right now it's the day, but you haven't responded to God yet. And I want to say there is an urgency. There is an urgency. And we don't know when night will come for any one of us. There are warnings in the scriptures about thinking that our life will be long. And then discovering in a tragic moment that it was shorter than we thought. And it's not just the, it's not just the fear of a judgment that might come, I hope, that pulls us to God. I hope it's the invitation of the power and wonder of being in connection with the God who has made us, the God who has a plan for our lives. But we also need to see that urgency. And so if there's anyone here and you've not yet responded to God, then I want to lead you in a prayer. And it's so simple. It's just like the words of Jesus, to repent and believe. And it's just to say, God, forgive me for the wrong ways I've thought about you and about me. And I turn to you now, and I put my trust in you. And I pray that you would help me to grow in my relationship with you, Jesus. That's it. That's the beginning. And if you're ready to pray that prayer today, then I want to invite you to follow after that prayer. I'll try to do it the same in your own heart. Jesus, I come to you, and I acknowledge that I've thought wrongly about you and I've thought wrongly about me. And I choose now to turn away from that thinking and to put my trust in you. I choose to trust you, Jesus, for my life and my forgiveness. And I ask you to come into my life that I could come into your kingdom. And I pray that you would teach me to live in relationship with you. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. And if you've prayed that prayer, I just want to pray for you now. Lord, I pray for anyone that's prayed that prayer. I pray that you would come by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would fill them with your love and grace and power, that they would know the joy of entering in to your kingdom and celebrating these first trailers of love and peace and power and wholeness and healing that you want to release to us. Thank you, Father. And I pray for every one of us. I pray, God, for this season, this season of springtime in, in the kingdom, where we are able to sow and able to have an eternal impact in people's lives. God, won't you give us boldness and courage and love for others that motivates us to share this good news with people, that they might come to know what we know, the joy of being in relationship with God. Lord, I commit us to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about the church and how to connect with us in person or online, wherever you are, please visit our website at www.chiltonchurch.org.uk.